The reading is from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 24. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus walks on water. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So we've got two stories that were read this morning as we journey through John's Gospel. And the first one was that well-known story, the feeding of the 5,000. Now you might be thinking, 
Do you know, I've heard that story so often right from when I was in the Sunday school. And you might think it's got nothing else to teach us. It's just a simple miracle story. But I think there are still some important truths that we can find in these verses. Now, Jesus and his disciples were in the area of Galilee. In fact, they've just crossed over to the far shore. The Sea of Galilee lies in a vast inland basin, 650 feet below sea level. It's 13 miles long and 6 miles wide and fed by the River Jordan system. It's surrounded by hills and mountains that reach up to 2,000 feet in the west and over 4,000 feet in the east. Now, the sea was surrounded by numerous fishing villages, some actually whose harbours have been discovered in the last 25 years as the water level has dropped. And there was a flourishing fishing industry. It was a poor society. Galilee was a peasant agrarian society where farmers were taxed heavily and they often lost their land to the wealthy elite. Now this was the people who had come to hear Jesus. This was the people that Jesus taught and showed compassion for. And I think sometimes it's good for us to try and visualize the area because it's quite, quite different from a very built-up area that we live in and where we worship this morning. So we need to try and imagine what the area was like. So Jesus was teaching and a large crowd had gathered. And we read that there were 5,000 men. Now, you would need to add on to that the women and the children. So there would be more than 5,000 there altogether. Can you imagine being in such a large crowd with no technology to help us see? If you're away at the back, you're never going to see Jesus. No big screens showing us what's going on. No sound system. Quite different to what we're used to. But the people were there because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say to them. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our churches today were filled with people who came because they wanted to hear about Jesus? John tells us it was at the time of the Passover. Now, there are three Passovers mentioned in John's Gospel. This is the second one. We already heard back in chapter 2 about the first Passover, at the time when Jesus cleared the temple and he identified himself as being the true temple that needed to be destroyed, and then he pointed towards his death. The third Passover we'll read when we get to chapter 11 and comes at the time of Jesus' death. But this Passover in this passage comes just before Jesus is identified and declares himself as being the bread of life that has to be given for the world. And we'll hear about more about that in future weeks. This is also the only Passover that they remain in Galilee. They don't travel to Jerusalem for this one. So John's gospel has a strong identification with the Passover and important times in the life of Jesus. And we know how important the Passover festival was for the Jews, because we've spoken about that before. The Passover was the annual festival to celebrate the story of Israel's departure from Egypt, where they were slaves. Pharaoh didn't want them to be allowed to leave. 
But the Israelite families were spared when the angel of death passed over the homes because they had been marked by the sacrifice of a lamb, which then resulted in Pharaoh releasing the slaves who fled into the desert. And families, Jewish families, still meet even today to remember this, to have a meal together and to retell the story. And John, John, and John's telling us that this miracle happened at the time of the Passover. There is some significance there. John doesn't put these details in just to pad it out a wee bit. You know when you're writing an essay for uni or college and you need a wee bit padding, so you add a wee bit padding in. John doesn't do that. There's always significance in what he writes. So we've got this big large crowd. And Jesus asks Philip, so where are we going to get bread to feed them? Now, interesting wee bit in this is that Jesus, we read that Jesus was testing Philip to see what his response was going to be. So Philip's thoughts instantly go to money. And he starts trying to work out how much money it would cost to feed them all. And you know, I don't think we should be too hard on Philip here. Wonder how many times when we have an idea or when Jesus gives us something to do that their first thoughts are, gosh, how much is that going to cost? So let's not be too hard on Philip. But another disciple speaks up and says, look, here's a boy. He's got five loaves and two fish. Now, maybe that sounds a promising start. Maybe the disciple thought Jesus could do something with that. But then comes that wee doubt in his mind. Oh, I've got five loaves and two fish, Jesus. But, you know, look at all those people. This isn't going to do very much. Remember, the barley loaf was the bread of the poor. And the fish were really small salted fish. They were not huge fish. They were really tiny. Completely inadequate to feed such a large crowd. But that didn't stop Jesus. Because he knew what he was going to do. He had a plan. So he got everyone to sit in groups. And then he took the loaves. He gave thanks. He broke them. And then he distributed them to everyone. And he did the same with the fish. And not only did they have enough to eat, 12 baskets of food were gathered at the end of it. Nothing was wasted. So what can we learn from this well-known story? Well, first, I think we can learn that Jesus will provide for our immediate needs because of his compassion. The crowd needed to be fed. They'd been there for hours and they were hungry. It was probably warm and sunny. But Jesus could have said, okay, folks, that's it for today. Off you go home. See you tomorrow. But you know, he didn't. He didn't have to feed them. But because of his compassion, he wanted to and he provided for their immediate needs. He gave them something to eat. And not just a wee snack. He fed them abundantly. They were to eat until they had fully fed. It was like that never-ending buffet meal. You could go again and again and eat as much as you want. And then there were leftovers. Nothing goes to waste. And it reminds us, because remember we're at the Passover, of the similar story when God's people were in the wilderness. And God provided the manna in the desert. And they had enough to eat while they were traveling because of the compassion of God. Now God will provide for our immediate needs as well. And in the Lord's Prayer, we say the words, Give us this day our daily bread. We're asking God to provide for us. And God does. He gives abundantly. And he meets 
our needs. Maybe important to note, though, he meets our needs, not our wants. I don't know about you, but my wants are often more than what I actually need. But it's our needs that God and Jesus provides. So Jesus took this completely inadequate bit of food and he fed the crowd abundantly. But not only does Jesus meet our needs, Jesus wants us to help meet the needs of others. St. Teresa of Calcutta said, he uses us to be his love and compassion in the world in spite of our weaknesses and frailties. He uses us to be his love and compassion in the world. And that's partly what we've been doing this morning as we have gathered food for the food bank. We are thanking God for his provision for us, but we're also showing others and helping others by providing for them as well. And then Jesus goes on, he provides for our deepest needs. Do you know, he provides for that deep-seated need that we have in all of us for forgiveness. This miracle story is a sign. It's an active parable of the spiritual sustenance we find in Jesus. As I said, he goes on in, further in this chapter. And when you read the chapter as a whole, which is good to do, read the chapter as a whole and think of the Exodus as you read the chapter. He goes on to talk about being the bread of life. And we'll hear more about that probably next week. And do you think of that image when he was feeding the crowds? He took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. Very similar references to the Last Supper and references to Jesus' body, which was broken on the cross, and his blood, which had to be shed before we could all receive the life-giving properties that are promised to us. So the miracle and the rest of the chapter take place at the Passover festival, which helps us make those connections. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, we've heard earlier in the gospel that he was identified by John the Baptist as being the Lamb of God. He is that sacrifice that brings forgiveness to us. And there are indications and hints of what will happen later on in the Last Supper. And if you think back in chapter 4, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus said then, whoever drinks of his living water will never go thirsty. So we have Jesus as the living water and the bread of life. And when we eat and drink from Jesus, we have our spiritual needs met and we have eternal life. Do you know, but we have to seek his will and we have to trust in his plan Can you imagine what might have been going through the disciples' minds? They've seen five loaves and two small fish come forward. They had to trust Jesus when he says to them, now go and group everybody, sit them on the ground in groups. They thought, oh, what is he going to do now? There might have been a wee bit of excitement, wonder what he's going to do now. There might also just be that little bit of doubt. I hope this works because we're going to look really stupid if it doesn't. But they trusted. They trusted in Jesus and we have to trust in Jesus as well. And then verse from 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is Jesus being portrayed as the true king. 
And this verse is often overlooked. We tend to finish our thinking about this story with the 12 baskets of food that are left over. That's great. The people have been fed and we've got 12 baskets left over. But this is an important verse as well. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. So the people have seen this sign and they started to call him a prophet because they were expecting some kind of prophet. And Jesus knew that they would come, there were over 5,000 of them, and they would force him to be the king that they wanted. 5,000 plus women and children, they probably could have done, certainly made some disruption. But Jesus recognized this as being similar temptation to the one that he faced in the wilderness when he was shown all the kingdoms of the world then. And the devil said, you know, you can have all these if you just come and worship me. And Jesus replied then that God alone was to be worshipped. And with this sort of similar temptation coming along, Jesus knew that this wasn't the time or the way in which he was to fulfill the Father's plan. So he withdrew before there was a scene, before the crowd were able to use the force. Jesus wasn't going to be tempted and give in to the temptation. He certainly wasn't going to be manipulated to do what other people wanted, for he only wanted to do his Father's will and follow his Father's plan for his life. So he withdrew to the mountain. We often read of Jesus withdrawing to a quiet place or to a mountain where he'll pray and be with God. And you know, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus and God cannot be manipulated. They cannot be used to do the will of the people. And we need to be careful that we never become guilty of that, that we don't try and manipulate Jesus to do what we want or try and force God to be the God that we think he should be. For God will not be contained. He won't be put in a box that we make. We are to surrender to him, to surrender all our lives, all our needs, to seek his will and to trust in his plan for our lives not the other way round. And then we come to the second, quite shorter story in the last verses. But this also is a sign of Jesus' true identity because that theme runs through all of John's gospel as we've heard so far. What is Jesus' true identity? Well, the disciples had got in a boat, headed off for Capernaum. But remember, Jesus wasn't with them. He was up the mountain. And then the wind got up. And the waves began to get a wee bit rough. rough. But you need to remember, these disciples were fishermen. They were used to this. They really shouldn't be frightened. And actually, we're not told that this is a bit... This isn't, the wind and the waves were not what frightened the disciples. What frightened them was seeing Jesus coming towards them, walking on the water. Well, I reckon I might be a wee bit frightened at that as well, if you saw Jesus coming, walking towards you. That's what frightened them. It was seeing Jesus doing something miraculous again. But Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So we have Jesus showing compassion again. He calms their fears. But the disciples get a glimpse of who Jesus is. It's a private moment, a moment of revelation just for his disciples. Jesus has the power 
to walk on water. And again, he's showing how abundantly, you know, he could just have called out to them. He could have shouted from the shore, could have calmed them in different ways. He could have stopped the wind and the waves. But he walks on the water, He shows them personally and abundantly what his compassion is like. So there's really two thoughts to finish with, two thoughts to reflect on this morning. The first part of the story, feeding of the 5,000, can remind us that when we have absolutely no idea what to do in a certain situation, the starting point for us should always be to bring whatever we have to the attention of Jesus. We never know what he's going to do with it, but our faith can remind us that he will do something that we hadn't thought about. So bring however little you have to Jesus always. And then second, from the second story, when we're in a tough place in our lives, as I'm sure we all have been in the past and will be again, when the wind starts to get up, the waves are getting a bit rough, we're not really sure what to do, we're starting to struggle a wee bit, just listen. And if you listen carefully, you might hear the voice of Jesus, our Savior, saying, it's me. Don't be afraid. It's me. Don't be afraid. Can you hear him say that to you this morning? Hold on to those words when you're not sure what's going to happen. For Jesus will always say to you, it's me. Don't be afraid. Amen.